and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. My name is Chris Chafin. I'm one of the hosts. Welcomed. We're all welcomed. I'm one of your hosts, Caleb Shively. Caleb, um, do you really, have we welcomed people enough? Should we go through it again? Do you think uh, people feel welcomed? No, but we can say fuck them right off the bat. And if they can leave, they can stay out. Which They're... is to the exact same thing I just said. It's a real bad boy attitude, sure. and I, we've been over this a thousand times that I'm not a bad boy, but I do admire it in you're, other people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're listening to Actually Best Choice Movies. It's the world's only movie podcast where every week we talk about two movies. Uh, one of them's old, one of them's new, and they interact and inform each other in some kind of interesting and surprising ways. Uh, would you agree? I would agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of movies out there. I would say... Most movies out there have an aspect to them, and that aspect could be considered good or a version of good, and we extrapolate upon that into a podcast, which is what this is. So, Caleb, you said the word aspect. That, that word starts with ass. You lost me there. I just think about butts. Oh, I was thinking cool. about butts the whole rest of the time. Uh, aspect ratio is in the conversation because Disney uh, Plus uh, cuts off Simpsons jokes. It's a thing that pisses me off right now that I will get off my chest because that's what my podcast is for. Yeah, the example of that that I've been seeing online that I think it best illustrates it is sure. the Duff Dry, Duff, Duff, yeah. Duff Light, Light, Duff, and they're all coming out of the same tube, but the way it's cropped on Disney+, Plus, you can't see that they're all coming out of the same tube. Mm-hmm. So you the could, joke is lost. It's lost. If you've ever seen The Simpsons before, which you have, you're a person, uh, <laughs> you could tell from like the first like second that it's like, oh, wait, this is different because the it's if you're watching an old episode, it just zooms in on it. Just something like emotionally feels like you're just like, this is wrong. mm -hmm. The frame store, you monster! Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, so this week we're talking about The Irishman and On the Waterfront. Uh, Those are two movies that are related in lots of ways. They're both epic in scale and about uh, unions. And I mean, I have read Martin Scorsese specifically has called out on the waterfront and other like Ilya Kazan movies as being like things that he was looking at and thinking about when he was making uh, the Irishman. So anyway, that's all this week on Actually Best Choice Movies. Uh huh. But before we get to any of that, Caleb, uh-huh. uh, what, Caleb, what the fuck you been watching this week, bro? Well, I was lucky. I lucked into a little nice little double feature. Um, uh, as we know, I still get DVDs from Netflix. I got yes, yes. Uh, much to the consternation of Netflix Incorporated. Sure, it, it it's fine. <laughs> uh, I got Loose, which came out earlier this year. Uh, stars Kelvin Harrison Jr. as baby. A, I love getting loose. Oh yeah, L U C E. It's his uh, the character's name. Uh, he's like an overachiever, like he's the valedictorian. But there's a thriller secret to it. And this young man, Kelvin Harrison Jr., carries this film. Uh, Naomi Watts, Octavia Spencer, Tim Roth, all in it. Oh, you know, I almost went to see this at BAM like several times, and then I never. Did. It, it's it's uh, way better than uh, it, it's a very much a thriller, but a very low stakes thriller, uh, which I thought is just good writing. Uh, director writer, his name's uh, Julius Ona. He's from Nigeria. Uh, name to watch. Uh, but yeah, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, lucky enough, I saw um, Waves. Uh, Trey Edward Schultz did the movie Waves. Uh, we talked about Trey Edward Schultz before. He did Cresha. He did uh, It Comes at Night. Uh, he talked at BAM when showing his oh, movie. Oh, that's the same director that did Cretia. Yeah, oh, and, and Kelvin okay. Harrison Jr. was there. And this young actor is probably my new favorite young actor. Uh, I loved Waves. Uh, it's a very experimental film. Uh, it does get very dark and then uh, shows the other side of that dark. Uh, it's a very mundane plot until it isn't, and then it turns into something else, and uh, it uses 
Animal Collective songs really well, which I, <laughs> really? I think they're the best band in the world. Um, this is the, remind me of the plot of this movie. Um, it's so a young high school student athlete has something wrong go wrong in his life, and it spirals out of control and affects his family is mm-hmm. the basic plot. But it's handled and so... And Naomi ex- Watts is his mom, right? No, that's uh, Loose. Oh, I'm that's talking loose. about Waves. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Oh, so it's very similar. That's kind of no, the plot of Loose, isn't um, it? No, Loose is... He is an overachiever valedictorian, uh, and then his writes an essay. His teacher doesn't like him, and it's basically him versus Octavia Spencer, and there's a lot of weird twists and like, turns. who do you believe? Yeah, and it touches on a lot of race stuff in it. And it's very, very uh, thoughtful movie. Again, carried by this two-faced performance from Kelvin Harrison, and then he goes uh, full uh, intense for uh, Trey Edward Schultz, which he was in the last Trey Edward Schultz movie, uh, "It Comes at Night," which always, which I always describe as uh, the premise of Last Man on Earth, but super serious. <laughs> Last Man on Earth is that great Will Forte show. Yeah, right, yeah. of course. Which, yeah, you were a big fan of, if sure, I remember correctly. A huge yeah, right. fan of the Fort. Uh, yeah, um, Go See Waves. I I don't want to spoil I gave you the plot of it, but the plot means nothing. It just moves so well, and it's so intense at points, and Lucas Hedges comes on for the comedy. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a movie, man. Good, Very good movie. Uh, I loved it. Uh, what else did I see? Now, what else What else you got, Brock? Come well, on, right I saw... On Clute on Criterion, and I saw. Oh uh, yeah, uh, they've been promoting that yeah, on the Criterion yeah, yeah. channel. I almost watched it the other night. I I hadn't. I have not seen it before. How mm-hmm. how was it? Did, did oh, you, you ever like seen Clute? No, I never. Oh no, yeah, uh, if you ever don't know Jane Fonda, who's doing great work. I mean, I know. Yeah. what I have I mean, heard of Jane Fonda. Have you ever seen her act? This is like her signature. Uh, yeah, I've seen Barbarella. Oh yeah, uh, go see. Check out Clute, man. She's uh, very very good in this. Uh, I wish the character was named like uh, her. her uh, I think there's a porn star named after her character, and it's Brie Daniels, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know anything about that. I was like right on it. I was like, yes, really that is the name of a porn star. I Brie Daniels because it's called Clute, which is after uh, Donald Sutherland's detective here. But Clute, Clute's great. It's uh, Alan pa- Pakula. I always call him Paluka, but it's Pakula. Can I just say that really makes me appreciate Brie Daniels, the porn star, a lot sure. more, that she has a really yeah. cool reference for her porn star name. Yeah. Like, I, That's awesome, actually. Uh, I also watched uh, She's not, per- not one of oh, my favorite porn stars, but, you know, she's, <laughs> she's fine. She's fine. You know, she's I love them doing all. good work. They're she's a journeyman, work. you know, like... That's one of, I think she was one of your like early 2000s people, prim- primarily. Oh, yeah, before the uh, high-def high kid in the internet. Yeah, before it, porn like had this real bifurcation into like real arty stuff, and then not. Yeah, she was not just like there that. to fuck. She was just there to fuck, dog. Um, another Criterion thing I watched when we were kings. Uh, actually, I watched this on disc because it just got released on disc. It's the uh, documentary about the Rumble in the Jungle with uh, Muhammad Ali, who's just if you're gonna find a subject to watch, to make a documentary about Muhammad Ali, it's a cool subject, man. Love that. I'm just looking at pictures of Brie Daniels on my phone now. <laughs> Sorry. If you can, please continue. Please continue. Uh, but I do want to uh, mention uh, my one of my favorite movies of the year. I was so blown away by uh, Marriage Story. Uh, oh, my God. I haven't seen this yet. This is, I feel like we might do this on the yeah, show. It's so gonna, don't, don't say too yeah, much about it. Yeah, I won't say too it. much. It's coming out on Netflix uh, but at the end of the month. Uh, this is November. I love Noah Baumbach movies. He's great. He's funny. He uh, takes uh, a good look at the drama of things and just displays it in a way that like he could poke fun at it in a very original way and easily marriage story it was his i think is his best movie and i was really? so surprised you think it's his how best movie? i was surprised how easily it was his best movie i love like squid and the whale i love kicking and screaming yeah, but, my uh, stories yeah, but this was like yeah. this one just like still is blowing me away every time i think about it he's just i what i love i mean 
I just feel his movies are made for people like you and I. We're sitting in my rambling Brooklyn apartment with my wife rambling. and baby next door. I work in the media, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I mean, you know, with Noah Baumbach, like injected into my veins. Uh, I love it so much. He does. He did a good, uh, I don't want to, I guess I can, you can't spoil casting, can you? You can. But like, I don't know, the, uh, the son in this is the it's, son in, in the, the Boys for Wells sketch, which I love that sketch. There was a Vulture <laughs> article about this Oh, really? Today. Was yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, About how they found the Wells for Boys well, boy for this movie. Well, I got to bookmark something. Um, like Rich Vulture's in this, Martha Kelly, uh, Robert Smigel. She's about as easy to pick out in a crowd as my pink thing in the lipstick factory. Is that all you've seen, Baller? Yep. We can do you now. Baller. Oh, I know. I didn't really mean to call you Baller, but then I was like really glad that I had done it. Um, so yeah, it's been a big change in my life since the last time we recorded an episode. I have give, I, I personally have given birth to a baby daughter. Uh, my wife has His pee hole is still stretched out. It's touching the yeah. floor right Ooh, now. Oh boy. Let me tell you, you know, I have had a kidney stone before. It was nothing to pushing a baby out of my urethra. <laughs> that was hard, hard. Her toe got cut on the end. Yeah. Thank God for epidurals. You know what I'm saying? Sure, bam. Um, but now it's really cool when I pee, it's like a fire hydrant it's just <laughs> but it only lasts for like a split second because i don't have that much pee in me it just goes like push and then it's all gone yeah, yeah there's a lot of splashback there's a lot of splashback <laughs> um but you know i'm making do i don't know i'm doing what i can um so yeah we get my we i have a new daughter so i've mostly been like locked inside various buildings like ever since it's been about like a week and a week and a couple days so I have watched like a huge amount of film and television in that amount of time. Uh, hit me, man. Hit me. Okay, so last night I finished watching Train to Busan, which I had oh, not I seen Oh, I love Train before. to Busan. It's great. And a Korean film. Yeah, Korean film. It's a zombie film. Uh, much like other Korean genre stuff we've talked about, it's basically a the villain is inequality and lack mm-hmm. of societal obligation, you know? Like, as much as the villain is whatever the villain mm-hmm. is, which is in this case zombies. Um, I thought it was good. You know, it, it, to me, it didn't rise to the level of like a, you know, the host because it, it was still a genre movie. It, sure. it, it didn't really rise above it. It just was a genre movie, but Wait, it was like a very well uh, done. Yeah. Within the zombie movie. genre, uh, it's very, very good. I would say I like it more than like most like World War Z or something. Yeah, World War Z is like a disaster. Yeah, so I did like it more yeah. than World War Z. Yeah, um, but it's good. It's like a good fun movie. It's on Netflix now, I yeah. think. So it's like free. Every it's definitely worth watching. It's definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. It's got got some fun jokes. I was telling my wife one of the jokes from it, which, you know, it's a disaster movie. So there, you meet a lot of. There's a bunch of you know characters that kind of randomly enter and then become really important, but they're kind of like archetype characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the towering inferno or something, right? So this has uh one of the there's like a young couple and he's on a baseball team and then there's uh a, a pair of old grandmas which for some reason isn't one of the old grandmas like a woman in her twenties wearing makeup and a wig. That like, would make sense. One of them is a real there's grandma. There's a lot of physical stuff in that. Movie. And one of them is like a young person wearing old person makeup, which is very off putting because they're often right next to each old other face. in the same shot. Sure. Yeah, and it's your you can definitely spot it when you know when it's right there. But um one of them is it's a young it's a older young couple where the woman is pregnant and the guy is like a big bruiser, but he he has the correct idea about societal obligation, so he's like a good guy. Um but at some point the one uh, another little girl is feeling the wife's pregnant belly and there's a kick and the husband like elbows the kid and he goes, "I made that." Just <laughs> like that's pretty good. I was telling my wife that. I was pointing to our daughter, and I was like, I made that. <laughs> oh, you got a catchphrase now. Felt good. It felt really good. Uh, that was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Um, I also, speaking of Netflix, watched the new Netflix film, uh, 
I am Dolomite. What is it called? Dolomite is my Dolomite name. Dolomite is my name. Which is a beautiful cast. I yeah, Eddie saw. Murphy. Um, Key. Key is Craig in Robinson. it. Craig Robinson. That's his name. I was trying to think of. Wesley yeah, exactly. Snipes. Wesley Snipes is like pretty great in it. He's kind of doing a do pretty like broad Snipes. character in it, actually. I mean, they're all based on real people. Mm-hmm. He's doing kind of like a lisp almost, but he's trying to be like fancy. You know, like Tu Wong Fu? Kind of like that. Ooh. But he's he's not gay or anything. Sure. He's just like a, a self-serious person. Uh, it was it was fun. I would say we, we enjoyed watching it. We watched it, you know, straight through without stopping. <laughs> it's a comedy. It's a bit. It's a true story of Rudy Ray Moore, who invented this character Dolomite, who went on to star in many movies. It's kind of a like let's put on a show kind of movie, and it's about how with no money and no expertise, this guy goes from just being a completely struggling, like absolute ass sucking shit disaster stand up comic to having making like a bunch of money doing this weird character which you know they posit that he stole most or adapted most of his routines from like bums on the street which is kind of true which is true uh-huh. um and that was pretty fun and it did make me think a lot about this script that I'm always not writing this like Comic-Con thing because that's kind of the thing that this is about it's like these scrappy group of people in the past trying to put on a thing that then unlikely becomes very popular so I was like really identified with it um, <laughs> and was and was like looking at it as like a template for something I could do and I was seeing like the weaknesses but I, but I, I appreciated them because it made me feel like not intimidated to try to do something myself you know mm-hmm. what I mean Where I was like oh uh, yeah it's just kind of like a by the numbers like it's just like the rise of somebody well good art inspires and i'm glad you took that yeah from it, there. it really did it was great um another thing that i watched very quickly i'll just say also on netflix it's uh a french science fiction television show it's called ad vitam like ad space v-i-t-a-m uh it's it's only six episodes it's about sort of a near future where people can regenerate themselves forever basically you lock yourself in this weird kind of tanning booth. And then when you come out, you're like, I don't know, whatever, regenerated, whatever the fuck that means. But you like don't age basically. Are the effects good? Uh, there are, it's mostly like real. It's mostly real. There like aren't really effects. It's basically like just the real world. I appreciate that. Like imagine the real world, but you could live to be 170 or you could live indefinitely. It's just the oldest person is currently 170, Mm -hmm. but like no one will ever die. Like from now on, no one will ever die. Uh, and it's it's kind of like a, there's like kind of a murder mystery wrapped up in that. The interesting thing about it, I'm sorry if I'm going on too long. You're good. Oh, no, I really am. We've been talking way too long. The central idea of it is kind of when old people can continue to work and be in charge of things until they're really old, what space is there for young people, which in a time when five or six 80-year-olds are running for president, I think it's like pretty relevant, you know? So mm. it's like it was really interesting to watch and think about. But anyway, that's enough of that bullshit. So the first movie we're going to talk about this week is 2019. It's currently currently in theaters. It is called The Irishman. It's a new movie from Martin Scorsese. I'm sure you've heard about it before. You know, it stars Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, uh, The Irishman. Things have gotten out of hand with our friend. You got to sit down. Everybody says so. Sitting down, I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things they don't know. I know. It's easy to look at the Irishman, Martin Scorsese's new film, you know, as I said, starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, as tough talking mid 20th century gangsters and think, like, God, another one of these from this guy? Like, does he ever do anything else? Well, like, yes, of course, he does so many other things. Like, that's 
I, you know, I will confess having that thought at some point, but that shows like an incredible amount of ignorance, right? The last three projects Martin Scorsese directed before this, and that's to say nothing of his like extremely diverse producing career, um, were two documentaries, one about Bob Dylan, one about the New York Review of Books, and then uh, an, an odd atmospheric drama about Jesuit monks in 17th century Japan starring Adam Driver. So like, it's not... It's not that he never does anything else. It's more like this is a return to something that he has done in the past and not for a while, actually. Um, and it comes with a lot of new stuff around the edges to obviously keep him interested as a director and a filmmaker and to keep us interested as viewers. There's, you know, this crazy de-aging technology, which I definitely want to talk about. There's a, this deal with Netflix. There's this eye-popping 210 minute running time and that's not even mentioning all this shit about Marvel movies Scorsese has accidentally started during the uh, press cycle around this movie um, but you know so that's all exterior to the movie but like what about the movie itself I mean at base it's a pretty straightforward adaptation of Charles Brandt's book I Heard You Paint Houses which is a biography of this guy Frank Sheeran it's a real guy who claims to have been basically involved in every mob related murder or going on from the Bay of Pigs to Jimmy Hoffa disappearing. Um, with a few exceptions, the story is like pretty shaggy. I, you know, I, I wrote directionless. I don't want to say directionless, but it's kind of like you don't exactly know where it's going from one moment to the next. Uh, and it, but at the same time, it's almost, almost completely chronological with a few exceptions. Um, but this is what I think is so revolutionary and interesting about The Irishman is that it's got the shape and flavor of real life in a way very few movies do. I mean, a, a movie I always think about in this vein is uh, Tree of Life, which is, it's, it's almost, it's structured, it's so different as a movie, but it, it's, it gets at something real about how you experience life. And I think this does from a different kind of point of view. You know, it's... Um, it's like you're doing a few things at once, you're not totally concentrating, and eventually they all go away and you're just kind of left thinking like, oh, like I guess that was my life. <laughs> you know, like that the movie gets that across like really effectively. Uh, Caleb, what did you think about this movie? I would agree with all that. I would say that whole, um, as much information as we're getting this entire time, coupled with like, it is kind of shaggy, but there's still like set pieces that like, okay, cool, end of scene, next thing, like moves so well. Uh, I just give it up to uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, who, you know much I love editing. Thelma always edits yes. Scorsese's movies. And I Although think I this did is... notice some continuity problems in the editing, I have to say. Well, did you notice? I, I think... think she did a great job. I think this is one of her best editing movies. I think she's going to win Best Editing Oscar. There was a scene where... Um, fr I think it's when... When they're fighting, because that, like... I want to go ahead. No, it's, it's in the prison when Jimmy Hoffa is fighting with uh, that guy from Lockstock. The short oh. guy. Well, the whole fighting stuff, because you can't get Al Pacino to do that, because I, I read that he was, he could hardly stand at points because he's just a, that oh old God. of a weird guy. So those like there's weird things with uh, stunt doubles that I noticed, too, yeah. <laughs> it, it was really, it was just So she like, had to edit around. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm sympathetic yeah. to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, not, so not to jump right into this. And oh, we're so, jumping. Yeah, so look, like, like, look, let me say at the beginning, I think it's a very, it's a very interesting film. And I enjoyed watching it, you know. Um, but you know, to, to, to just to talk about things that like bugged me a little bit, like let's talk about the de aging technology. Sure, I had like, that as my first note. Caleb, as well. how do you feel about this de aging technology? Um, I think you know it took a sec to get used to, which is shows that it's not up to like standards of like how high we should have of standards of watching movies. But I think specifically for uh, this movie, uh, for um, this movie, The Irishman, which is about an old guy recanting his old his life as a young man, 
and sometimes not doing it well as in remembering. I yeah. think that adds to the effect, and it does get like it's it's a it is good enough. Uh, it's it's solid. Like I'm, I didn't buy uh, after like thirty minutes in the movie. I, I didn't even notice it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. All that being said, it does not hide actual acting because Robert De Niro, though he looks like a forty year old man very convincingly, does not move like a forty year old man. All. So the first <laughs> scene that really took me out of it was there's a scene where. His, uh, he's supposed to be younger, like 40 or something. He's got a daughter who's like six, maybe. And she, it's like the local shopkeeper accused her of stealing and shoved her. And so he takes her down there and he's supposed to like beat the shit out of this guy by like throwing him through a glass door and like punching him and stuff, right? So we're watching this as an audience and he's got this like, you know, weird computer face on but you're watching an 80 year old man like walk around he's lumbering lumbering around he, he's very his slow like, arm is like t-rexed a his, little bit his arms are t-rexed up he's supposed to be stomping on this guy but he looks like he's just barely able to lift his foot yeah. in the air and he's just kind of lightly putting it on him and the guy's going oh my god why yeah. and you're like oh my god this is like kind of embarrassing to watch uh i think the frank character uh, try to make them as like a big lumbering, like an instrument to use of from the mob. Uh, and that was like Frank stepping out of it on his own. But it does, it, it was jarring to see just like the body movement of it. But, yeah. but uh, Frank and there are other himself di- as a character is a pretty cool, it's a pretty badass, cool character. Yeah. Uh, character who then we learned is not that cool and not that badass. And life is meaningless. As somebody, not to like completely ignore what you just said, but just to keep talking about de-aging, like as somebody who plays a lot of video games, I think that it it really reminded me of like a, a really good cutscene, And so I, <laughs> I just kept, it made me somehow like take the movie a little bit less seriously because it just subconsciously, it was like I was experiencing a different kind of media. And also I will say there were definitely times where it was a real big close-up on someone who was de-aged and you could tell that they had spent forever oh, on, the, sure. on this particular shot you yeah, know I and think, and you know from the reading you do about the movie that this is the thing martin scorsese has been working on for like a year yeah, or more than a year 150 million for for de-aging yeah, for like, and they just, he's just been like obsessively doing it in the like in the editing studio he's like, been saying every day. it's gonna replace makeup one day yeah he's so big on it right yeah but then there are all actually are, looked great there are shots where like there's three people who've been de-aged in the same shot and there, it's kind of like a medium shot mm-hmm. and like it's not that good <laughs> you know it's not that good and it's just kind of like, okay, like I, I will accept that this is a younger version of them, but I'm not happy about this. <laughs> and also, I, I also thought like the de-aging never made anybody look younger than like 55. So I, I didn't know how young they were, yeah, or they old they were supposed to be in yeah, the, in the past scenes. I had no idea. Like you know? uh, the Joe Pesci character keeps calling him kid. And like, he doesn't look young. It's not like, he looks like he's fucking 55. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking he about? He has four kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At one point, one of them has like a new baby. And I'm like, yeah. who are you ever going to, you're having a baby at 55? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Joe Pesci she did look good because uh i forgot because i looked up what he looked like afterwards like oh yeah, yeah he, he looks good. very very he's a very old man i mean i did i will say it beyond like dunking on it for not being perfect which like whatever it's new technology right and to a certain sense this movie is us watching martin scorsese learn about this technology sure. and i'm sure he will find other ways to use it in the he future that are better. a 77 year old man yeah exactly but at the same time i have kind of a philosophical problem with it especially when you're looking at robert de niro a man who one of his you know iconic roles is playing the younger version of an older person in a in a like a gangster movie, like why why it's such a missed opportunity to cast someone exciting from today in that role like fucking Robert Pattinson like I would love to have seen Robert Pattinson as young Frank you know like that would have made it a whole different movie 
and it would have been so much more vital, I feel like. That's true. Than watching an 80-year-old um, man lumber around with a CGI face. You know what I mean? Well, we could it's, get, like, it's like years yeah. and years. I think that taps into, uh, like you said, there's a lot of external stuff there. There's like there's a meta aspect to this movie uh, because this is not uh, Martin Scorsese, Goodfellas, Casino, to an extent Wolf of Wall Street has a lot of like men behaving badly as a group. Uh, so this movie is kind of... Uh, were those movies kind of glamorized in its way of that lifestyle or showed it in like a cool sense? Uh, the Irishman does that very little and instead uh, shows the just how old it is and how like nothing yeah. they have and how uh, sad. It's how meaningless these men, it was. Yeah, how sad these men really are. They were just like weird losers yeah. that like hung out and didn't really do anything all day. So it kind of was like him being like, yeah, I made all these great movies that you all loved, but also think about it. We don't want to glamorize. Yeah, exactly. It's not a good thing to glamorize. It's kind of him uh, ending the gangster movie in a way as the person who should do it. Uh, I think of... Uh, Unforgiven in uh, the uh, one of the last western that Clint Eastwood made in the mm-hmm. was it the nineties or whatever yeah uh, where uh, that his gunslinger was just sad about all the men he killed uh, and this is like Martin Scorsese being sad about like yeah I probably created a lot of cinema in a way that influenced a lot of I, I influenced the guy who made Joker <laughs> and it's like puncturing these myths of these actual people because sure. it's about real people like Jimmy Hoffa and these other the gangster that Joe Pesci plays whose name I forget. Um, on that note, as a quick aside, can I tell you, so I saw this at IFC, um, you know, pretty soon after it opened and the guys sitting directly next to me were like mafia groupies. Like every time somebody came on, on the screen, they would be like, Oh, that's Jimmy little bones. Like they just knew somehow immediately if somebody just was like, Hey, check out my shoes. They're like, Oh, that's Tony little shoes. You know, well, first of all, fuck and they them were for talking during a movie. They were talking pretty loud and they were like laughing, but they were having such a good time that I couldn't really be mad at them. That's nice of you. And I was just like, I guess this movie is in for these kind of people in a way, because these, he's making these references to what must be real people. Mm-hmm. And like, nobody fucking knows what's going on except these idiots next to me. You know what I mean? Um, there, he did. Uh, this is the, my, one of my favorite things about the Irishman. Uh, he would pause on the oh, a yeah. person every once in a while, and it, like a, a Wiley Coyote title card would read. And it would be like their death, and sometimes it'd be like uh, a very brutal death, and sometimes it'd be like he lived a long, nice life. Yeah. I mean, at first, I will say I found that a little off-putting because I was like, "Why is this happening?" Because they're, you know, it's it just like movie... lets you know like these characters don't really matter. Because <laughs> it was always on characters that were not a main part yeah. of the movie. Um, but I, the movie does have a lot. I feel like people aren't talking about this as much. It has a lot of like experimentation, like for a movie made by an 80 year old in a genre that he's been making movies in for 30 years. It has a lot of experimentation. Like it has this crazy de-aging technology. It has these crazy titles that come up all the time that like disrupt the flow of the movie. It's got this very um, conversational and like unreliable narrator kind of uh, narration mm-hmm. done by Robert De Niro, where he's saying things like, okay, yeah, all right, so whatever, I don't know, this guy, he came over, you know, he thought he was gonna, you know, whatever, it's like, it's all like that, and then it's just kind of showing you what, it's illustrating what he's talking about, not all the time, but sometimes, and then it also has, um, you know, it's called The Irishman, but, like, I don't know why, because it's obvious he wanted to call it I Heard You Pay yeah, Houses. the first title card says, I, which is a cooler title. It's a super cool title <laughs> card, it says I Heard You Paint Houses, but that's, like, not the name of the movie. It's I'll, like, I'll blame, um... Netflix for yeah, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll blame I think Netflix. they call him Irish, like, as, as his, like, mob nickname. I think they call him that once. <laughs> yeah, right. Or there's one scene where they're, like, uh, 
there's only three people that got one of these rings and only one of them is Irish. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like, that's such a small part of the movie. Him being Irish is like, mm-hmm. who gives a shit? And it's also know? Robert De Niro, who is not Irish. a famous Italian. American. <laughs> no, I guess they gave him like blue contacts for the movie. <laughs> I didn't you know, I didn't notice it either. I read about it afterwards. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was not looking that closely. Um, I feel like I was in the middle of saying something else about it when I... Yeah, like, we're in the middle of saying lots of stuff. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I loved Al Pacino in this movie. I loved Al Pacino. I thought he was really good as... Yeah, a, I haven't seen... Uh, I haven't... I, I liked him in some movies in his old age, but he's always been... I don't know. Even in Son of a Woman, he was like over the top and handy. And that was like 25 years yeah, ago. That yeah, was exactly. the, He won an Oscar for that. Uh, uh, but I... I 70s Al Pacino is so fucking cool, but this movie, like, there's usually a loud mouth in Scorsese movies, and that's usually the Joe Pesci character. <laughs> um, the Jonah Hill character. Um, but this one, it's Al, yeah, Al Pacino playing Jimmy Hoffa, a very charismatic real-life person. Who's playing, who's, like, so often in the movie in, like, silk pajamas in a random oh, yeah. hotel room, Eating having Sundays. some weird conversation. <laughs> He's mostly just being very cute and non-threatening, <laughs> like, like, 80% of his performance, like, eating ice cream sundaes with little children <laughs> and being like, ooh, I love ice cream. Really and you're is. like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? You know? But it's so great. It's so, and he's wearing this insane wig that's like oh, yeah. six inches tall, you know? Uh, I mean, it's like tiny stuff that comes for your conscious. Like, uh, you don't be 15 minutes late. Like, 10 minutes is fine. <laughs> but this is like he's 15, obsessed over yeah, this yeah. for like 20 years. You don't wear shorts to a meeting. Yeah. You were keen to the meeting wearing shorts. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what I was so great is like, they all seem like intelligible people who are basically, they have the temperament of people with regular office jobs, but they just happen to have this guy, Frank, to murder people for oh, them. Oh, yeah. And like, other than that, they're just completely normal office people, you know? <laughs> they're like mad about how someone showed up to a meeting, you know? And they're just like, oh, I don't want to talk to that guy. But instead of, but they have to because there's like murder involved you know i mean i will say so it was three and a half hours that's one of the things people talk about like i didn't think it felt long at all oh, no, i didn't yeah. think it felt long at that's all the editing, yeah. man. Give it up for my girl Thelma. uh it was very fast when it needed to be fast but then like once you get to like the bigger stuff in the movie it like slows down to a crawl it's it like really methodical oh my god yeah especially like at the uh, the last jimmy hoffa scene where they just like repeat the steps over and over oh my again god, yeah Ooh. and and also the, the so that's it's the real life of this guy frank sheeran um and but it doesn't really tell you what it's about the movie just kind of starts right yeah frank's and, more, yeah go ahead and, and well, I was just going to say the mo- if, if you consider the story of the irishman to be his involvement with jimmy hoffa that doesn't even fucking start for like an hour. Yeah. It's just like... That's like a, the middle part of a sandwich. Yeah. yeah. The, it's The first is just like Frank and his life and like people and he's mm-hmm. like doing stuff, but you like really have no idea where it's going or like... Yeah. Except that it's just interesting to watch, you know? Yeah. Uh, it starts and ends with uh, Frank in a retirement home uh, reflecting, which uh, out of all those Scorsese uh, tracking pan shots, like think of like in oh, the casino... Yeah, yeah. Uh, this starts in a retirement home. <laughs> it's similar to the casino, yeah. like long unbroken tracking shot, except it's down the hallway of a retirement Very home. Very sad, blue lit retirement Very home. sad. Ending <laughs> on uh, Robert De Niro sitting completely Scorsese alone. always shows you something. That's why he's right about Marvel movies, because he's a better yeah, filmmaker. Of course, he's obviously right about Marvel movies. Um, I will say another thing about this movie that I really loved is basically the last, because it's this guy's life, and as you say, it starts with him in the retirement home. Eventually, we catch up to him being old in the movie. And so maybe the last 40 minutes or so, are about all the characters you've seen in the movie who are still alive being mm-hmm. old men, like very old men. And it's super interesting. And I think that like 
I wish Martin Scorsese would make another movie that is just about being old because that's like a big part of the statement of this movie. Part of him, living. but 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 you're right. He's 80 years old. All these actors are 80 years old. Like it's a completely unique artistic perspective that they have, and and they're fantastic artists. And yeah. I would love to see them explore that reality of their lives. You uh, know? I can't. I, I'm trying to think of other ones, but they all suck. The ones I'm thinking of, but as a older as good as it gets geriatric movie yeah uh, i was thinking like the bucket list too i yeah, like about grumpy like about, old men i like about schmidt actually um yeah okay those are nicholson i'm, I'm just thinking of old actors right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah grumpier old men grumpier actually old that movie is yeah. pretty good <laughs> <laughs> did you have something else to add on that no i think it was a, one of the more quintessential i do hope like there is like a a genre that starts of like this is a bunch of old filmmakers, the people from the this 70s. This is like ad vitam. This is like what I was fucking talking oh, yeah. about. That's like, true. Old uh, people are still in charge of stuff. Yeah, Scorsese and Spielberg. Those people are getting up in age. They they, they could make... Uh, <laughs> Cocoon is probably the oh, uh, yeah. number one But you know, movie. they were like 55 when they made that movie. Well, only Wilford Brimley was. There's yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. a website that's... Uh, it's like a Twitter yeah, account, right? I think it's uh, Tom Wolf- Cruise was older than Wilford Brimley when he did Mission, the last Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> I mean, it's wild. It's wild the way aging has changed, right? I mean, <laughs> you were like in a retirement home waiting to die. My grandfather retired from his job at 60 and never worked again and seemed like an old man for the last 35 years of his life, which is like, oh, wow. that's really weird. You know, that's really fucking weird. Uh, did you sit still the whole time? Did you go pee? I did. Not only did I sit still, but my wife, Catherine, oh, wow. she ended up giving birth 48 hours after we saw this movie. Which was unexpected. It was supposed to be later in the week. She, as we walked in the theater, she said, oh, I'm going to have to pee like 10 times during this movie. She did not get up out of her seat once during the whole movie. That's and didn't, Herculean. It, and it wasn't like an effort. It was, she was captivated by the movie and, you know, I guess didn't really have to pee. It's a very captivating movie. It is really, and you know, it's great. It goes along really it's well. It's very funny. Uh, there's it's a lot of funny. action when it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, there's a yeah. conversation about uh, a fish in the back seat. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like that part very much. I like some stuff like that. Well, see, the the movie, actually, this is one of the things I forgot that I disliked about the movie, but it's got some of this kind of like almost Quentin Tarantino-y, like long conversations about nothing kind of stuff that like shoehorned into the movie. Yeah. But I I don't think they work. I don't think they work in the movie. I I feel like they did. It's just ridiculous. Like, yeah, there's this fucking whole conversation about a fish that goes on for maybe 15 minutes (laughs) and like five different characters have this conversation. And it's like the conversation. Yeah, they repeat it and you're just like... I don't, I don't, this is not interesting. Like, a, I felt like I was watching fl- old men try to do Quentin Tarantino. It's a flex, man. It's a flex for I mean, I guess Scorsese. so. It's a guy, I guess He so. can do, do some stuff. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else to do, say do, about do, this movie, do, dog? Do, 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 do. Um, a big complaint about uh, Scorsese movies in general is the lack of people of color and the yeah. lack of women roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this does not change any no. of that. Doesn't at all, uh, no. But if anything, it presents... This is what a world without that looks like, and it is corrupt it and vile sucks. and yeah. stupid. Which is maybe he's making that point. I don't know. He, uh, Anna Paquin's this movie and has zero lines, <laughs> and uh, she talks about how she's very talked about how she's very fine with having zero lines. That's how it's written. She's more of a conscience than a speaking character. Yeah, her role is to like. She's the daughter that we mentioned. She makes eye contact with you know Robert De Niro across the room and looks at him disapprovingly, and he's like, "Oh yeah, shit, fuck." That's her role. That's that's all that she does in the movie. Uh, I guess we haven't talked about how good. I think Robert De Niro is very good in this movie. I think uh, he's very good in the movie. Yeah, there's too. like, um, I think we like he. This last couple movies, he's been very like old guy in the movie. Ever since yeah, uh, like old, Meet the Parents, he's we, been like yeah, exactly. old guy in the movie. But it he very much works it maybe because he's working with his 
uh, best like friend a, Mark like Marty. Peer. Yeah. Uh, no, I yeah, think he's great. Very good. I mean, I do find the de-aging stuff very distracting, and so much of his performance is done through de-aging computer technology. But I, I love him as an old man, and I love him sort of maybe from the middle of the movie on mm-hmm. when he just kind of looks like himself. Yeah. Like, I, think, like, I think all that stuff is great, yeah. you know? Because he's just kind of a, he's kind of like, a, you know, he's a doing the thing that he does. He's like being very quiet. He's being very like reserved, but like kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he just, he's somebody who like accepts that you have to kill people sometimes. So every once in a while, he's just like, shit, I got to kill, I got to, I got to, I got to kill this guy, you know? And that's yeah. like all there is to it, you know? Very big brood menacing presence. But then when he needs to break down, they, he uh, can show confusion and uh, things that you didn't expect from this uh, monster of a human. <laughs> Yeah, and the question is, like, you know, is he a monster, you know, or I don't know. You know, it just seems like somebody who his job is to kill people. You know what I mean? And that's not his whole job. He has lots of other shit he does, too. monstrous. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. You know, in the history of the world, I would say it's not that uncommon of a job to have to go around and kill people. Like, when somebody powerful needs somebody killed, I mean, hey, Caleb, ever heard of the police? Oh, yeah, they're monsters. The band, the police, yeah. Staying, oh. yeah. Yeah, they're huge monsters. Huge monsters. That band yeah. sucks. Synchronicity, fuck off. No. Um, okay, so that's enough of this bullshit, unless you have other things to say. Let's uh, move on. So the next movie is, has been cited more than once by Martin Scorsese in talking about how he thought about this movie, and I, I have some quotes here. Should I read them now, or should we talk about them later? Uh, I'll do my intro, and then we do it. Okay, I'll talk about it later. All right. So this is On the Waterfront. What are you, wise guy? If I was wise, I wouldn't be no longshoreman for 30 years. What's his racket? His racket? Yeah, his racket. Everybody's got a racket. You think I'm just a gravy train rider with a turned around collar? One thing you've got to understand, Father, on the dock, we've always been D&D. What's that? Deaf and dumb. I don't know nothing. You haven't heard the questions yet. Based on a series of Pulitzer Prize winning articles from 1948 on the waterfront, premiered in 1954 to critical and commercial success. And why wouldn't it? (laughs) Ilya Kazan was already established as one of the most important directors of his time, working for the third time with one of the most important actors, period, in Marlon Brando. The duo had a working relationship dating back to the legendary actor's studio in New York City, and by the time of Waterfront, Brando had already garnered two Oscar noms working with Kazan, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, and Viva Zapata. Third time was the charm, as Brando won the Best Actor Oscar for On the Waterfront, while the film in total won eight Oscars, including Best Picture and Kazan won for Best Director. If that is not enough legacy for you, let me just say, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. Thank you. Um, oh my God, right. I, I, honestly, I honestly forgot that that was from this movie. And then when it happened, I was like, oh, shit. The focus of On the Waterfront, both the film and the articles that inspired it, are on union violence and corruption amongst dock workers and longshoremen on the waterfronts of Hoboken, New Jersey. A real-life subplot of the movie was this being Elia Kazan's first movie after testifying before the House Un-American Activities Committee, where he named names... Pretty inc- fucked up, dog. ...including this film's original screenplay writer, Arthur Miller, and became a pariah amongst left-wing Hollywood circles. The plot and real life intersect with each other as Brando's Terry Malloy battles with his conscience on ratting out the everyday injustices he sees, dot, 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 on the waterfront. We're going to talk more about this. Chris, 
Talk more about this. So now I keep talking about this. This is an interview Martin Scorsese gave with two of all places, Games Radar, which like, we, why is Games Radar getting access to Martin Scorsese? Like, this is fucking wild to me. Um, but it's a very thoughtful wild. and interesting interview. Uh, so he says, my heaviest influences were the films of Elia Kazan in the 50s, where you can have a two shot, hold the camera, and it's just the people in the frame. Uh, John Ford would hold the camera on two actors. Uh, so I've been doing the drawings and notes for certain dialogue scenes. Uh, that it's like he, yeah. So he says that has a lot, a lot to do with on the waterfront, East of Eden, wild river, beautiful films. Uh, it was primarily bringing out the actors and making the shoot comfortable. Like that became the mise en scene for me, which is interesting to think about that. This movie is a movie where the scenery is the people and like the emotions they're having, which I think is like pretty apt because it, the framing otherwise is like pretty unremarkable, mm-hmm. but it's like the, if they're it's crowded with, people and with reality and i think that is also true of the irishman like it's not shot in a particularly showy way there's a couple of like fun scenes but really what you're watching is like big actors acting bigly mm-hmm. on the screen you know what i mean and it's like oh, like he's saying like having the comfort to just sit on a two shot like a medium two shot of two guys and just like going at each other in some way, you know, having some emotions together. Sure. And I think that it, in that way, it's interesting to think of the Irishman as sort of a very old fashioned movie, you know, as much as it's like a formal oh, yeah. experimental movie. Uh, um, yeah. He uh, very, very much uh, yin and yanged those things together very well. But so like watching on the waterfront, I mean, the thing you have to talk about is Marlon Brando, right? So you're looking at Marlon Brando, you're looking at one of the most iconic film performances of all time. And you're looking at like, you know, to me, the whole film acting careers of some of your favorite film actors, right? You're looking at like the Ur text that Robert De Niro and Adam Driver and Burt Reynolds and like a million other people, Jack Nicholson are just drawing from continually. You know, when you see an old movie, like on the waterfront, um, the one that's like survived to now that we still want to watch, it's usually because there's something like really exceptional happening. And, And in this case, one of the main things is you're seeing modern acting in a movie where not everyone else is doing modern acting. Yes. So Brando at this time, uh, movies in the fifties, forties, fifties, that golden age, uh, was very um, stoic acting and not bad acting, but just like come in, say your lines like gangsters. Like yeah, it's like theater influence. Humphrey Bogart, not really like know, moving around. It's like very presentational, uh, yeah, I would say. You like know. acting to the camera, not for the camera. Right. Uh, and Brando was breaking that down. Uh, it started with Streetcar, uh, yeah. um, and uh, I mentioned Viva Zapata, both with Ellie Kazan. And then this movie was just him being so physical and just like finding things in scenes. And just like existing in this way that's like really compelling, but it at the really same time he's not doing anything. Like you know? how acting in film has done uh, Marlon Brando has. And that's why when we you hear that name, why he's a good actor, that's why. Because he made acting better. He's just doing shit like chewing gum or like leaning on something in a weird way and like ruffling his hair while he's talking. There's he's, actually this one scene where like um, he's talking to Eva Marie Saint. It's kind of the first time they're kind of flirting with each other. And they're they walk they're walking through a playground and Marlon Brando just goes to sit on a swing and he kind of almost misses it with his butt and he makes this kind of face like oops and then he just kind of finds it and he's, sits down. It's so natural, like it's so natural. So he's this tough guy, uh, but then he just finds like with his, his scene partner just finds what it's called for. Like he finds this with scenes with Ava Marie Saint. It's very gentle with her. Uh, it's just very figuring out like a very much a young boy figuring out his feelings of how he has. Uh, there's a scene with her where she drops a glove and he's just talking to oh, her, yeah. trying to like do it. And he picks up the glove and just like 
puts it on, but like he's having a conversation. Just no, he's things. like he's like picking off all the little pieces of yeah. like dirt that have stuck to it, like the whole time that she's talking, and he's just staring at the glove doing that, which is like again so real. It's so natural. It's like a revelation. Mm-hmm. I know that's an overused word, but to watch someone just exist on screen around all these other people who are like shouting big speeches to the camera. <laughs> You're like, Oh yeah, this is fucking rules. Like this guy is amazing. Uh, to get more of the plot. Cause I didn't really talk about it. Uh, Terry Malloy, Marlon Brando. He's an Xboxer. He's now with, uh, an easy dock working job because his brother is the right hand man to the corrupt boss. The corrupt boss. His name is Johnny friendly. <laughs> Uh, the Johnny book, Friendly. Yeah. Then his conscience grows because uh, the movie starts off with a death, uh, and that's compounded by the fact that he had to uh, throw a fight too that we learn on. So uh, his conscience is all messing with him the whole time, and Marlon Brando really just physically acts that out. Uh, you see him struggle. You see him just be like kind of a doofus too, kind of like a naif in yeah, a way. Right. But yeah, then there's yeah, a like letter. there's a scene at the beginning where he's at the like gangsters clubhouse and there's they give him all this money to count and they're all just kind of like making fun of him like good naturedly you know but he's also like he's like a big dumbass you know and they're like hey you count this money and he's like and they're making fun of him and he's like I lost count <laughs> and they're like uh, <laughs> come on Einstein or you know whatever you know I think this is the second time this has happened on a movie reviewed but. Uh... Originally, they wanted to cast Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I think the last time we did said that was for uh, in Scorsese's uh, the Jerry Lewis role in oh, King, King of, of Comedy. Comedy. Yeah, but yeah, uh, they he would have been ca- good in this. I can see him in this. Part. He's from Hoboken. He had, yeah. he, he got the Hobokenness of it. <laughs> it would have been more fiftiesy. It would have been oh, like right. a more irregular fifties movie. Yeah, there would have been none of that physicality. Oh <laughs> yeah. no 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 no! It would just been hey oh uh, hey what are you doing over there? <laughs> I got your pigeons over here, right? A lot of the movie has to do with pigeons, which is like oh yeah, there's weird. a ton of pigeon stuff. There's a lot of him being sweet with p- pigeons. Oh, it's so sweet yeah. the way he loves those pigeons. You know, <laughs> waving a flag around the roof of his little brownstone or whatever. You know, it's hard. It's a heartbreaking movie. I mean, at the same time, obviously, you know, you're watching a movie from the 1950s. Like the score is like way over the top. Oh, it's a Leonard Bernstein score, it's but the... it's so loud sometimes I can't hear the dialogue. You know, yeah. did, did you not find that? Uh, yeah, but I didn't really care because it's like a 50s I mean, I movie it's where good... it's like things are. Uh, it was very easy to follow plot. Like, oh, cool, this score is happening. It's a Leonard Bernstein plot. It's one of, it's the only plot, uh, excuse me, the only score that Bernstein did that wasn't adapted from one of his plays. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, it is, I'm not going to say it's a bad score. I just thought it was overbearing. And, you know, sure. in, in the way of a movie from like 1998 to 2010, mm-hmm. when they would do like a really loud score to let you know what to feel. Yeah, that, this movie really much does that. Um, but then there's nuance within the acting, too. I think his brother, which I don't know the actor's name, Rod Steger, I might yeah, be wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, the scene with the I'm a Contender scene, it just, they're just like, it's just a little back and forth where uh, Brando, Terry Malloy's breaking down and his brother is like, kind of like, has a gun pointed at him at this point. And he yeah, just right. like touches the gun and just like very, you know, he touches it in a way, it's just like, I letting you know that like, I'm really broken hearted here. It's one of those imp- like, impossible scenes that I was like, this is so good. And to run across a, the, this scene like, a, you know, I could have been a contender, something you've heard so many times in your life. And then to see it, like like I said, I forgot it was coming. And to like, 
run across it in the wild where it's, <laughs> it feels earned and it's just happening oh, Lord, between yeah. these characters. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it takes something, you know, when when something is, is a, you know, a, a meme, for lack of a better term, to this level, it, it kind of is divorced from meaning and it kind of seems stupid and fake, you know? But then to see it in the movie, it, it it's less over the top than yes. you. It's it just seems real natural, and it's and it's not even like a huge heartbreaking thing. But you're just like, fuck yeah, he's totally right. He totally should have said this to him like years mm-hmm. ago, you know. And and he's like, yeah, fuck you, you know, for for putting him in this position. <laughs> it's just like a real good scene, you know. Uh, a lot of people just get to play off Brando. Uh, Ava Marie Saint. This is her yeah, film. You can debut. definitely see her being like lifted up by mm-hmm. him, you know. So a uh, thing. Uh, the other characters in the movie, uh, the Bob Boss, has a, there's a fight scene with Brando, and then uh, there's a priest, and it's a little, one of the most on-the-nose roles, very well done acting-wise. Carl Malden, is that his Yeah, name? I think that was his name, yeah. Um, but yeah, for a preachy character, make it a priest. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go wrong, make the preacher a priest. <laughs> it works out. He's got a huge fucking nose, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's like Carl Malden's signature thing, but it's just so funny in this movie. <laughs> Um, but it is about like uh, to connect this with the Irishman. Right, sure. Jimmy Hoffma was uh, a corrupt uh, union u- boss, u- union right. boss, and this is all about who is like having people killed yeah. to preserve his status at the top of the union. And this is more of a uh, by the numbers version of that <laughs> yeah, story. Exactly. I mean, it has a lot of the same touch points, like people talking about the local, you know, mm-hmm. local three seventeen or whatever. Yeah. Like those that comes up a lot in both movies. Uh, a great touch point that is similar between the two is. Uh, the casting of all the uh, union workers, uh, like the casting in on the waterfront, oh is God, just a great. bunch of people probably from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, they just because this big lumbering, like probably like six foot eight dude. Oh my God, but his hands are so big. This guy, he's like one of the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. He looks like like a cartoon Frankenstein, but he's yeah. a real guy. And actually, speaking of, it's funny because the guy who played Frankenstein in the Munsters is also one of the bad guys. Oh, um, Fred Gwynn. Yeah, but he's like real skinny and young at the oh, time. Oh wow. Yeah. Fred uh, Herman Munster is what is some of the best sitcom acting. If you ever ever watch the Munsters, it's uh, knocks it out of the park. It makes other sitcoms look like shit. I haven't watched it since like 1987, so I don't know if it stands up. But it's like, very sitcom, but it's Munsters. It's amazing. Which brings to mind a famous old quotation. He who lies down with dog gets up with fleas. Who said that, Daddy? I'm not sure. I think it was the man who trains Lassie. That's cool. He kind of sounds like uh, Ray Romano, which I can't believe we didn't talk about Ray Romano. Oh, my God. Ray Romano (laughs) in in The Irishman. Irishman. He's great in The Irishman. It's like I'm very much here for the renaissance. The renaissance. Yeah. Did you see uh, Paddleton from earlier this year? No, I didn't. Uh, Him and Mark Duplass. It's on Netflix. Oh, I remember hearing. I think I saw a trailer for it. it. It's a sweet movie. Uh, Ray's very good in it. I guess I had forgotten about the existence of vinyl, but I guess that's where Mark... That's where they oh, first Bobby met. Oh, Bobby Cannavale, yeah. Bobby Cannavale and Ray Romano's yeah. in vinyl, too. Bobby so Cannavale's how, also in Irishman, yeah. That's how he, Scorsese knew who he was, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think he had, like, never heard of him before. There was, again, a Vulture article today I didn't read, but it was some, the headline was something like, starring in a wildly successful sitcom isn't enough to make Martin Scorsese notice you. <laughs> so it was something like, I think when they started doing vinyl, he had no idea who Ray Romano was, you know, basically. I forgot Ray was in uh, Ben Nell. Yeah, I, I love him. I, I, he's, uh, you know, I would, I haven't really watched that show, Men of a Certain Age, but like, you got Ray Romano, you got Andre Brower, and you got uh, Scott Bakula. Like, that's like a pretty fucking solid cast. Andre Brower, you know? current TV MVP. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a fantastic film. It's a real classic. I actually had never seen it before. Had, had you seen it before? On the waterfront. Yeah. Uh, I saw it like when I was young and didn't appreciate it. 
uh, probably like on TCM, uh, like when yeah. I was first watching TCM all the time in high school. Uh, and so I, I clearly didn't appreciate it because I was just blown away watching it for this t- this time around. Uh, I I love this movie. Yeah, I loved it too. It was really great to watch. I mean, I watched it like last night. You know, I've got a new infant, but it was like I didn't fall asleep and I <laughs> only had to pause it three or four times. So I felt like I was like really paying rapt attention to it. Uh, 12 Oscar nominations, eight wins. Most of its losses, losses in Oscar were uh, in supporting. They had three supporting nominations. No, that's too many. And they just all split the vote. Oh, really? Yeah. Like who did It was he, uh, Carl Malden, uh, the brother Rod Steger, and someone else. Uh, probably Johnny Friendly. Oh, probably, probably Johnny Friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah. Carl Malden was really good, but he was also doing a lot of like just kind of shouting stuff. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a movie that needed to bring its conscience up every so often, he just could come in and say, like, this is wrong, and yeah, it cool. works. It works. Caleb, let's say that someone, let's say that a corrupt union boss found out that mm-hmm. you were going to cause problems for them and they were sending somebody around to straighten you out if you didn't pick one of these two movies as the actually best choice movie. Which one are you going to pick, dog? Uh, I um, I will say a little intro. The Irishman was a very good movie. It would probably get a lot of Oscar shine this year, as it should. Um, but I'm picking... On the Waterfront. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, on the Waterfront is uh, absolutely amazing. It's worthy of all the uh, clout it has uh, uh, earned. I, today I was uh, I had a pleasure just doing a bunch of research on it. Uh, like I didn't know much about the uh, how Elia Kazan was bleeding back blackballed at the time. And oh, he yeah. used the, that Oscar night as his retrib- retribution for it, which he did rat people out, but also... I mean, it's pretty fucked up. I mean, it's pretty fucked up mm-hmm. what he did. Yeah. It's very fucked up. But also, up. it's good for him, for a director, to be honest in this film. And this was a movie about a guy ratting out bad people. That's true. <laughs> so, but, like, I him mean, trying to, like... The people he ratted out were not bad that's people, true. though. That's the difference, <laughs> I would say. He ratted out good people at a time when being good was considered Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, But it's... Gr- that's the power of art where he can like you make something so great transmute <laughs> yeah. that into something compelling. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's in- insane. Uh, and also uh, I will give a shout out to deceased Sam Spiegel. Uh, this was, uh, he was an independent director. Uh, this lost finance. This is me doing research today. Uh, uh, and then he's like, Oh cool. I'm going to pick up this movie because I believe in Elia Kazan and you got, he got Marlon Brando to be in it. Uh, and, Became crazy successful after this. He went on to uh, produce uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge of the River Kwai. Oh, wow. Cool ass dude. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, on the waterfront, man. We should do more old movies. Or I love old not, movies. Yeah. You know, I, I feel always hesitant to make us do old movies because it's like, I feel like there's I'm so many mom, movies. You know? That's why we don't want to do it. Yeah, right. There's so many movies. Um, you know, it's funny. I was like all set to come in and say The Irishman. And I was like, of course, it's The Irishman. Obviously, go see The Irishman. But, you know, hearing you say that about All on the Waterfront, I mean, like, right, if you have to really sincerely say which of these is, like, a better f- film, yeah, I think I might have to go with On the it's, Waterfront as well. I mean, it's a classic of all time. It's fucking all, 70 it's time, years yeah. old or whatever, 60 years old. It's It'll be We're hard to pick any movie it. over the On the I mean, Waterfront. It's one of the most iconic films <laughs> yeah. ever made. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, and then it's, it's that, it is that for a reason. It's I don't because think, it's a fantastic like, Anyone in our friend group has probably seen On the Waterfront. Probably not. Probably uh, Maybe not, like no. our parents, but they're not in our oh, friend group. Oh, my parents, group. definitely. Yeah. I uh, don't know. My mom's my best friend. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but there's probably mommy. A, an our generation thing where they just like d- didn't uh, 
want to go see like why would i watch yeah. this fucking old black they probably and white movie no brando from godfather which is fine he's they great probably and... know him from the island of dr moreau that's also you know? true <laughs> like... uh, a south park parody also a good movie i mean yeah. you know it's a fucking famous disaster like have you read all the stuff about the making of that movie this is a whole different show but like i have not apparently it was fucking wild like people like were living in the jungle for real and stuff like that um, trying to sneak onto set. People were like banished from the movie and then went to live in the jungle. <laughs> and Marlon Brando was close to like 400 pounds at this yeah, point. Yeah, and he was just making up, he wouldn't say his dialogue. He was just making up things to say. It was the parody. That whole thing where there's like a tiny version of him, that was his idea. And oh, he weird. wouldn't he wouldn't let them not do it. Oh, Maling, that was just beautiful. Thank you so much. Terry Toast. Your help. It was interesting to think about this movie and to think about the way that fame used to destroy people and it destroys people in a very different way now. You know what I mean? Because you're Marlon Brando, like thinking of it as a, like related to the Irishman, you know, the people in the Irishman are already like older than Marlon Brando was when he died possibly, or at least close. Right. And he had lost his mind completely by the (laughs) 1960s. You know what I mean? Like it was a quick turnaround where he became fat and insane. Like it didn't take very long. By like 1973, he was completely off the reservation. You but know this, what I mean? Uh, this, this is 54. Good looking man. Good looking. Oh my God. He's woof. like, woof. Woof. jumps I, off screen. Oh my God, dude. The fucking jawline and the hair on this oh, man. man. His, the way he wore those clothes. Like he was just wearing like workwear, which is by the way, very popular again right now. He's wearing this like <laughs> short plaid jacket with the collar flipped oh, up. Oh yeah. That and you're like, tight. this is a fucking look. Yeah. With, like, khakis so big you could, like, raise a family in them, you know? Like, they're huge, and he looks like a million dollars. It's a fantastic. Basically, we're shaming you if you, have, if you, if you don't go see, go see on the waterfront. Go see on the waterfront. Uh, let's say that's it for this week's show, everybody. It's so great to talk to you. Boom. You're gone. We're gone. Oh, my God. It's so great to catch up after I've been locked in the house for, like, a week and a half, like, with this fucking baby. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he loves her. I love her so much. She's great. She's, she's absolutely the best. Man. You know, the thing I've been saying to people is uh, it, she's the world's best baby. I'm just lucky she was born to me. <laughs> <laughs> so many catchphrases. I know. It feels great. So um, many dad. These are actual dad These are actual now. dad jokes. I'm an actual wow. dad now. I know. I've ascended to a new level. We're a new level in of the, podcast. like, galaxy brain meme. I've moved up a peg. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, thanks for listening this week. We'll talk to you later, guys. Goodbye. Synchronicity. That was actually one of the first CDs that I got, and I was really into it. The Police Greatest Hits. I know all. I know all the words to every police hit because of that. I had a boombox and two CDs for about three years. So, like, you know, I listened to that a lot.